You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Vivian caught me yawning just now on the front row and it wasn't it's not cuz I'm bored. I do you ever yawn when you're nervous? Yeah, it's like, it's like a I don't know what that is. Why the human body does that, but I feel nervous. I was um getting so much during worship today. Um, I just want to encourage you guys this morning. Uh, I, one of the words that I got during worship today, and it's so simple, it's nothing revolutionary or anything like that, but I'm going to say it anyways. But I, I, I actually put my, my hand on my chest this morning and because I just heard the Holy Spirit saying to me, be not afraid, be not afraid. And I kept repeating it to myself over and over. And I think uh, we're, we're, the world is in, the, the world is just exploding with transition right now. There's just so much transition. When a, when a woman is, is in the process of giving birth, there's a section called transition and one of the things that she says during transition is, I am not going to do this. <laughs> but the fact, the simple fact is there's no going back, right? There's, it's just, it's, it, the, the thing that's happening seems almost impossible to live through or to get through, but there's no going back. And my friend Jim Hill preached a word last week and he mentioned this and it just it struck Amy and I because we we feel that in our personal lives we feel that in just the world in general and there's just a lot of folks me included who don't necessarily know what to do you know and so um you have to guard your hearts. We talked last week about guarding your hearts. Well, one of the things that you have to guard your heart from is being overwhelmed by fear. And sometimes you need to put your hand on your chest and you need to pray for yourself. Sometimes you need to put your hand on somebody else and you need to pray over them. I prayed over my son this morning during worship. I just felt like the Lord wanted to bless him with a father's blessing this morning. But I think some of you all need that in here this morning. So here's what I want to start this morning with. If you're near somebody that you know, ask them if it's okay if you put your hand on their shoulder. If you're, if you're not near anybody that you don't know, it's okay. You can just put your, you can put your own hand on your chest. It's, we, don't, we don't want this to be awkward, but um, there is, there is really something about the laying on of hands, the body of Christ laying hands on one another. And, and, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that whoever it is that you're, you, maybe you got your hand on yourself. I, I'm just going to say this. Holy Spirit, lead me out of fear. Lead me into your command of be not afraid. Teach us how to live without fear. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, no fireworks, no, no lights and camera, just a simple prayer. But we believe prayer works. 
So, um, so we're going to talk about Palm Sunday a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of all over the map today. I'm going to do a, a survey of Mark chapters 11 and 12 with you today. And I'm really counting on the Lord to have this make sense today. It might not make sense today, but I'm okay with that because uh, I, I believe that the Lord is really leading us to a greater dependence upon his Holy Spirit. And, and this is the wonderful thing about church is that you don't go to hear preaching to make you smarter. You don't read the Bible so that you'll become smarter. You actually read the Bible or you go to church and listen to preaching. And what it really is, it's an invitation by God into knowing him better. So everything that we're doing within these walls is not going through the motions of going to church We really, Amy and I actually, Robin and Donna, we actually have a passion in our own individual lives. And our passion for you is that you would know him better. And that you would realize that it's possible. Because there is a lot of messaging going on out there that say, that is saying that it's impossible to know God. And it's not true. Jesus actually came with the revelation that it is possible for you and I to know him. It's why he came. So I'm going to start out with a funky little scripture in the gospel of Mark. And let me set this up for you because I'm going to, I'm going to start it in a strange place. So, so Jesus is going, he starts in Jericho before he goes through the gates on that small ass through the gates of Jerusalem. He starts in Jericho. Do you know the thing about Jericho? It's the lowest inhabited city on the planet. Yeah, it's hundreds of feet below sea level. That's fascinating to me. I don't have any spiritual significance to associate with that except to say Jesus ascends in order to descend. He goes from the lowest geographical point on the planet to go to the lowest historical point in history. It's not actually a down to up. It's actually a flat line for him. But I just got to think there's something to that. But he goes through those gates and what he does is fascinating. He starts causing trouble for himself and everybody around him. Jesus is known in the scripture as the Prince of Peace. Have you ever heard him called that before? Well, what appears to be That he shows up in Jerusalem on Holy Week. They're not calling it Holy Week back then, by the way. But the Prince of Peace shows up on his ass in Jerusalem and does everything else but create peace. In fact, he disorders, disrupts, and confronts everything. In his doing that, he comes across these dudes known as the the Sadducees. If you've heard of the Sadducees, they were a religious group that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they're trying to trick him because they're looking for excuses to crucify him. They're looking for excuses to get him out of their way. So they go through this whole thing about, listen, man, the law of Moses says this. If somebody dies, their widow's supposed to marry his brother. But if he dies, 
it's, it's just supposed to go on the, down the line. So if the resurrection is true, in the afterlife, who marries that woman? Okay, it was a really stupid question to begin with. But Jesus, he says this, he starts with this. And I think we have this passage for you guys to follow along with me. I love this. Verse 24, Jesus replied, you, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Wow. You know what? The Lord can come to you and he can say things like, your mistake is. See, he's confronting their current understanding of the scripture And he's also confronting their lack of knowing the power of God. See, the way that God wants to relate to you in your life is kind of like through your regular everyday mundane life. He wants to interact with you. But there's this other piece that he wants you to have. And it's it's he wants you to know his power. He's actually calling these very nice religious people out. And he says, you think you know the scripture, but you don't. But the thing that's even worse is that you think you know my power, but you do not. And he goes on. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now as to whether the dead will be raised Haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? In the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, For I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. Wow. That's a little bit different than the Jesus we see on social media, isn't it? Jesus is the man who's going around kind of like making things easier on everybody, including everybody. But in, in the text of the New Testament over and over, we see him confronting people about the way that they are thinking about him. And he is audacious enough to say out loud in public to people, you have made a serious error. So I've been in the gospel of, we, uh, of Mark this week, and I've honestly been having kind of a good time reading the Bible. Have you, do you have the testimony in your life that you've ever had a good time reading the Bible? Raise your hand. Yeah, occasionally it's good, right? But then there's all those other times that you kind of have to press into it, make yourself read it. When you're in that season, continue on. I mean, there's, there's something worthwhile in studying the scriptures, knowing what the scriptures say, right? But there is a better place to read the scriptures from. When we see the text of the scripture as an invitation into knowing Jesus better, it becomes infinitely more powerful. And when you see the text that way, they become more precious to you. And I've had this sense again of God's glory you know, when Amy and I were younger, we, we made all kinds of bad decisions in our lives pursuing God. 
Maybe some of you know about that when you were young. You, you have felt the presence of God. You heard the voice of God. You made decisions to do things for God that were maybe unwise or foolish, but you made those choices because there was something about your interaction with the living God that instilled in your heart a passion for living with him. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I actually, in my mid-40s, I started to believe this lie that that was just for me in my 20s, that that passion and that love and that addiction to God's presence was just something for young people. And so I started kind of like ordering my life around that idea. And I woke up one day and I realized, oh, I'm reaping the fruit of that belief. And there's so much dryness. There's so much unbelief. There's so much doubt in operation in my life. I actually don't think you can read the Bible and hear God anymore. That's a problem. But thankfully, desperation is a gift. Thankfully, we get to those places in our lives where the thing that we tried isn't working anymore. So we head back to Jesus again. And we start reading the words that he said and we go, oh, well, I tried the option of dissecting everything Jesus said to deaths to rob it of its power. This time what I'm going to do is I'm going to hear when Jesus says that there is a resurrection of the dead. I'm going to believe that. And it started to foster something in my heart. It started to foster something in my spirit. There started to grow a hunger and a thirst again for the things of God, for the spirit of God, for the power of God in operation in my life. But I think that the deal is this. I think we shy away from Jesus occasionally because when we listen to him, Oftentimes, he confronts us in the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we believe. He might come to us and say, your mistake is that you don't believe or you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Jesus is not a passive person. He is not someone who lets unbelief go unchallenged. Listen. I consider myself a broad-minded person. I think that you should read broadly, think broadly, consider all things that are, you know, going on in the world. But there is a point where you will be given a, you'll come to a point of decision where what's being said out here is standing in opposition to the thing that Jesus says to you And it's that point where you go, well, do I take the wisdom of the world or do I take the wisdom of Jesus? It's as simple as that, y'all. And Jesus is the type of person who will not allow our unbelief to go unchallenged. He will challenge it every step of the way. That's actually why when we're walking in unbelief and and doubt, it feels weird. It feels sketchy. It's because the Holy Spirit is actually challenging us in our unbelief along that way. Are you with me so far? 
So Jesus is someone who confronts the powers that have us locked in our insecurity and unbelief. We can see in this gospel of Mark that Jesus goes after that which is not right. And we all have things in our lives that are not right. And it is the goodness of God in Christ who comes to us and confronts our wrong thinking and believing. God, God really desires to set things right. When Jesus came into the world and inaugurated the kingdom of God into the earth, that was the beginning of his project of setting all things right. When the kingdom of God is breaking out in your little life, what usually happens is first there's a confrontation with the thing that is wrong in your life coming in contact with the kingdom of God in your life. Yeah, there's these little, these little disruptions when God comes into your life and he challenges something that's going on. That is the judgment of God working its way in your life to bring you into his good life. God doesn't bring judgment and he doesn't confront so that he can punish you and isolate you and set you aside. He brings his word to bring you fully into his good life. That is the heart of Jesus. When he sees you, he sees his beloved one. And sometimes he says to you, you have made a serious error, but it's not so that he can condemn you. It's so that he can save you. This Palm Sunday, the beginning of what is known as Holy Week, it is Jesus's last week on earth before his torture and murder. Jesus knows what is coming, and yet he is going about his business as usual, confronting and disrupting things that are not right. Why is Jesus the Messiah so confrontational? In the Bible, he is sometimes called the Prince of Peace. I've already said this, but it's so good. In the week before his murder, Jesus Christ is anything but peaceful. Why can't he just leave things the way they are? Why does he curse fig trees? Why does he throw merchants out of the temple? Why does he refuse to give reasonable answers to the religious teachers? Why does he punk the Pharisees and dunk on the Sadducees? All the while trampling every presupposition about God to the people within his hearing. Simply put, Christ confronts us because he loves us. Christ confronts you because he loves you. There's a story in Mark 11. Mark's a little bit different layout of this gospel than Matthew and, and Luke. There's an interesting scene. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that colt. And it says that he goes into the temple. He takes a look around. And then it says he goes back out and he heads for Bethany. So he comes in that day, but then he goes back out that night. He comes in, he takes a look at the temple and he takes a look around. Then he goes back out and it says in that next morning, there was a fig tree and he was hungry and he cursed that fig tree because there was no fruit on it. 
And later on, it says, Peter saw the tree and he says, hey, Lord, that tree that you cursed is, is, is withered. It's gone from the, from the leaves to the roots. And there are entire volumes that are written on that one thing. But for us today, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is not above or past cursing the unfruitful areas of your life. Jesus is not past confronting the unfruitful things that are in operation in your life. I mean, I'm a little offended by that story, to be honest. I'm like, God, why don't you give that tree a chance? Put some fertilizer on it. Say nice things to it. Try blessing that tree, oh Lord. But he's like, no, today I'm hungry and that tree's got nothing to eat on it. You're cursed. I mean, maybe we should be offended by that story because maybe it's really a picture of God coming for those things that we actually need out of our lives. That's pretty good. It's it's another invitation into the good life of God. You can't hear that. I mean, you can hear it and be offended and be like, ah, never mind. I'm not interested in going there with you, Lord. But if you're willing to go where he's He's going, it will take you somewhere good. So, so that, that's the fig tree. This is going on before he cleanses the temple. But, but after he curses that, that fig tree, guess where he heads? He heads to that place that the day before he had looked around and thought to himself, hmm, this is interesting. So he goes into the temple and he, you know the story. He he, he, he gets a cord of rope and he starts thrashing around. He's pushing the tables over. He's scattering. He's throwing money everywhere. He's, he's disrupting the status quo. He's disrupting the powers and principalities of people coming into the house of God and paying high prices for animals that they can sacrifice. And it's this, this weird, arbitrary, money-making scheme. It's this thing where the, the merchants or, or the greedy people are charging people to get access to God in a way. And this, this moment for us, this is a picture of when Jesus comes into our worshiping lives and he confronts the things that we have put in between us and him. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I want to have kind of this ongoing relationship or um, you could say it this way. I want to continually practice the presence of God in my life. But I think that there are definitely things that come in between me and him. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, and, and a lot of it's not even sinful. It's just like the speed of my life is so busy that I can't even wrap my mind around stopping and saying hello to the Lord, much less saying a prayer much less inviting his presence into my workplace or my whatever. 
And I need Jesus to come into my life and flip those tables over occasionally and tear down those money changers so that I can just have a direct shot straight to him. It's not even really things that other people do to me as much as I do to myself. I mean, in this particular picture, if there's a zeal that's pushing Jesus into doing this, it's a passion for people to know him in his fullness. He has a passion for us to have access to him without hindrance. He wants us to experience him on a daily basis. Mark chapter 11 goes down a little bit and there's this group of religious teachers after he gets out of laying waste to the temple. They ask him a question and and they only ask him this question because they're, they have a surplus of pride and knowledge working in them. And they ask him this question. They say, hey, hey, man, by what authority do you do all these things? He's like, well, I, I'll only tell you the answer to that question if you answer me this question. And he says, when John the Baptist came into the earth, was his authority from heaven or was it from someplace else? And you know what? They said, well, if we say that he was from heaven and we rejected him, then we're going to be in trouble by the people. And if we say he wasn't from heaven, then we'll still be in trouble by the people. So they gave the easiest answer of all is we don't know. You know, sometimes you can say, I don't know to the Lord and he'll hold it against you. I mean, I've always thought it was kind of virtuous to tell the Lord, I don't know. But sometimes he'll ask you a question so that you can be honest with yourself about what you do know. Because he wants to say if you'll say it out loud. These guys didn't want to give any type of authority to Jesus. They wanted to arrest him and crucify him. But he wasn't playing their games. Sometimes Jesus refuses to answer us because we don't really want to know what he thinks. We have to be careful that we are not trying to be argumentative with the Lord. You know, you can actually argue with the Lord too much. It's possible. Sometimes we need to humble ourselves and receive what he's actually saying. Receive it with all that we have within us. Even the harder things that he's saying to us. But my favorite, my favorite part of chapters 11 and 12 is this, and I've already mentioned this, but Jesus with the Sadducees. This is an example of Jesus confronting a principality that actually terrorizes people today. I'm telling you right now, there is a spirit of the Sadducees that is actually running rampant in the world right now. You know, people carry things. People carry things. These guys were carrying the revelation that there was no resurrection. 
This is, this is what they were giving to the world. They were telling people, there is no afterlife. There is no hope of resurrection. Do you think that that would produce anxiety and angst and fear in people? If you get around people that are saying there's no such thing as the resurrection. I mean, guess what that does to your sleep at night when you put your head on pillow? You know, you know, your average person in the world, if they don't believe in a God, guess what they do? They take drugs. They inebriate themselves in some way because all of the existential questions that you and I have, every other person in the world has too, whether they believe in God or not. And the existential question of the afterlife that some people say Jesus is not clear on, he is very explicit in this thing right here. He's confronting the unbelief of the resurrection in this passage. Do you think that Jesus will not confront you if you are in error? Jesus is often speaking in parables, and yet he will also speak plainly to you. He said this to them, your mistake is that you do not know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Y'all, y'all today, you have to let your mind be at ease. According to Jesus Christ, the son of God, there is a resurrection from the dead. I know it feels like I'm harping on this, but I actually feel like this is the thing the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. The Apostle Paul says that the church is the pillar of truth in the world. And this is what we are carrying. We are carrying the truth and the hope of the resurrection into a world where we are confronting the unbelief of the resurrection. You don't even have to preach it. You just walk into places and you carry that thing. Oh, I love this so much. Jesus said this, but now as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And Jesus is saying this. So he is the God of the living and not the dead. He is the God of the living and not the dead. This is the God that we worship y'all. This is why we're up here losing our minds on a Sunday morning. Not because we like the sound of our own voices. But this God that we love. Who's coming after us. Confronting those unfruitful dead things in our lives. Who is taking us out of those things that are keeping us out of his presence. He wants to knock all of those things down. Because he wants you to not only know that he is the God of the living. But he wants you to enjoy that reality too. He wants you to enjoy that reality. This is not the deeper life club where the super spiritual get access to this. This is us saying yes to the things that Jesus believes so that we can enjoy the fullness of who he is. Maybe you have some sin in your life. You should deal with it. Not because it's, it need, you know, we want to embarrass you it's, or, or you need to be shamed or like nothing like that. 
any conversation we have around sin is because we know that Jesus has something better for us. That's the truth. God is not the morality police and neither are we. We're not walking around managing people's sin lives or whatever. But we definitely know that when the light of Jesus comes into the darkness, there is a confrontation that cannot be denied. Sometimes when Jesus comes, he brings his light into our darkness. Our first reaction is to step away from that light. But I'll tell you, this is all you have to do when you get nervous, when Jesus starts coming around with his truth. Just stay. You don't even have to answer. Just stay. Let, let, let him start to deal with you. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have, oh, that, that sounds different than what I just said like five minutes ago. Sometimes you have to have the answer. But most of the time, he's coming to you to deal with you. And, and in that dealing, he is all sufficient. In that dealing, he has all the grace and the mercy and the love and the power to put inside your soul so that you can leave the darkness of your old life and come into this new light, this maturing in the Lord. That's so good, isn't it? Jesus confronts wrong belief because he knows that what you believe directly affects the way that you live. He doesn't go after the way that you live. Well, sometimes he does, but a lot of the times he's going after the thought in our mind. It's the thing that we're believing that's ruling us. What you believe rules you. Yeah, do you guys know that phrase? You could write that down, put it in your journal. I've been hearing this phrase for 20 years. Robin's, Robin Don have been hearing this phrase for 40 years. We got this spiritual father of ours, this British guy named Arthur Burt. He would say this. It probably took me a decade to figure out what this meant. So some of you come back and see me in 10 years. But what you believe rules you. That's why Jesus keeps going after belief. That's why he keeps confronting doubt with belief. If you believe incorrectly, you will live in fear and bondage. If you believe what Jesus believes, you will be free from fear and bondage. If you don't know what to do or what to believe, go back to the gospel, pick it up, read what Jesus said and say, what he believes is what I believe. Man, this sounds like Christianity 101, doesn't it? But I feel like the waters that we're swimming in these days, like we got to go back to these things. We have to remind ourselves that there's an actuality to walking with Jesus. There's a reality to doing these things. So one story that I didn't mention in these chapters is the one where the Pharisees try to trap Jesus into saying that, Taxes should not be paid to Caesar. And Jesus stuns them all with this phrase, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's, you know. So uh, there's this there's a there's this pipeline. 
I'm using that word because that's, that's on social media these days. There's like the, these, these pipelines where you start from one thing and you go to the other. You know, like, like the people who are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday. We're saying crucify him on Friday. Do y'all know that? Yeah. And, and when you read that text, you can't go, oh, those poor fools. Like, no, that's us. That's a picture of us, y'all. We're not the heroes in that story. We're not the, you cannot read the gospel and see yourself as the hero. When you read the gospel, you have to see yourself as the one who's being saved. And it gets real tough. I mean, I wish we could just go from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. But there's this thing that happens on Friday that's so bad. If you stand on the edge of the abyss and you look into it, it should shake you to your very core. Because those people that were singing Hosanna on Sunday, they were the same ones that were saying crucify him on Thursday night. But I got this other pipeline that I want to close with. There's three money scenes from chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 11 to the the end of chapter 12. The, the, The gospel of Mark deals with money in three ways, but I don't actually think he's dealing with money. It's just that the money is the is the object lesson. So at the beginning, Jesus clears out the temple and coins are flying everywhere. And then in the middle section, he's saying, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. And chapter 12 closes out with, to me, what is one of the most beautiful images in all of scripture. And it fills me with so much joy and so much hope because what it really does, well, it does a whole lot of things. But when we were worshiping here this morning, guys, Do y'all see these new carpets we got up here? I'm telling you, it's the little things, isn't it? It's like, oh, I dropped to my knees in worship and it felt so much better. Like I didn't feel 49 anymore. I felt like 34. And, and, um, you know, when you start worshiping, you can get in your head. You can really get in your head and talk yourself out of things. And so like, I'm on the staff of this church. I'm one of the pastors here. And I, I'm getting on my knees. And I'm just thinking, oh, these people behind me, they'll think I'm trying to be spiritual. They, they'll, they'll think I'm just trying to do this to show people how it's done. Do you ever have those thoughts when you're standing next to somebody in worship and you go, oh, I really want to raise my hands right now. But the people next to me I work out with them at the gym and it would just be really weird if I just started raising my hands. And when I was down there, I just heard that phrase that Jesus said, give to God's what is God's. Give to God what is God's. Let the spirit say that to you right now. Give to God what is God's. And I just started saying that to myself and I was connecting it to that other phrase that I was getting, which is be not afraid, be not afraid. Give to God's what is God's. And when I started saying that to myself, I saw all of this area up here and all the way back here filled with people who were giving to God what is God's and nobody was afraid. 
And, and you know, it's this, this fascinating thing. It's this fascinating thing. And I've heard John Mark talk about this, but like sometimes you don't really fall in love with something until you see somebody else love that thing. Like you can't really see it until somebody looks at that thing and is like, this is the best thing either. And you go, it is? Is it? What? And then you start watching that person in awe of whatever it is that they're looking at. You know, if you're in a room full of people who are stoic, guess what you'll be? Stoic. If you're in a room full of people filled with reluctance, it's a lot harder to not be reluctant. And I'm not making a case that we need to be a certain way every Sunday, but I'm just saying sometimes we might just want to give to God what is God's. And the thing is, is that that's what you were actually created for. I know I beat this nail all the time, but I think it's worth saying. You were created to live with God, be with God, worship God. So if you're walking through a world that's telling you otherwise, when you get into this space, you're with all these other people who think that same way. And you can give to God what is God's together in safety. And you can have a good old time enjoying the good life. Because the deal is this, we're not trying to get to God, we're already with him and we're just celebrating that. I'm not jumping through hoops to get the presence of God, I'm sorry, that, that, that's old, old school, that's 1970s Pentecostal revelation, I got past that. You know, I'm still a Pentecostal, but what I'm saying is, I, the, the presence of God is my starting place. I mean, maybe it's my starting place and the place I'm going, I don't know, and everywhere in between, right? Maybe it's all encompassing, but I don't want to have that poverty idea where it's like, oh, God's over there. And until we get the songs right or everybody sings the right note and the rain of heaven starts falling. It's like, no, I think it's just that we all just need to change our attitude and give to God what is God's. So I'm going to close out. I promise. I, I, I promise this this. This is the final thing that's going on in, in chapter 12. So this is so funny. I think this is so hilarious. Chapter 12 closes out with this interesting picture, which begins with this. I love this quote from the Bible. And Jesus sat down next to the collection box in the temple and watched the crowds drop in their money. <laughs> Don't you just love that? Like, like Jesus gets a seat and he sits next to the collection box to see how much y'all are given, right? Like we are like, oh no, this is my private time. Like get my phone out, put in my 50 cents on the QCC app, you know, like this is between me and God. But like Jesus is sitting right there with you like, hmm, 50 cents, hmm. <laughs> But hey, if 50 cents is all you have, that's so good. Like, I heard stories about people putting pencils in the envelope, you know, because they didn't have any money in their bank account. They had a pencil in their pocket and giving it to God, you know. Like, I mean, God can multiply your 50 cents. He can multiply a pencil, right? I don't know. Can he do it? I don't know. But Jesus is pulling up his chair and he's watching people put in the money. And it's so funny to me because he's not only is he sitting there watching what they're putting in the offering, he's watching how much people are putting in and then he's announcing it to everybody. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you just love that? Like, 
I mean, I turn around to my son-in-laws, uh, Andy, I said it this morning, you better give money this morning, Andy, you know, like he didn't do it. You guys need to talk to him after. <laughs> but Jesus is telling people how much people are giving to God. And here's why he's doing it. Because in his estimation, how much you give matters. I'm going to trick you. I'm going to trick you right now. I'm telling you I'm tricking you right now. But I'm going to start with this trick. Jesus is telling us this because he wants you to know that in his estimation, how much you give matters. All right? But what Jesus is confronting here is not how much money we give or don't give because the truth is he doesn't need our money. What Jesus is shining a bright light on is how a person, how a person who gives everything to him is very precious to him. Jesus is calling out in this moment what is precious to him. And in the story, he's, he's seeing all of these rich people coming in and they're, they're dropping off tremendous amounts of money. And it's not even a bad thing that they're doing that. But he sees this widow woman and she comes and she's got her two coins. And according to the story, it's all that she has. And she drops them in that box. And what I find so fascinating about that story is Jesus doesn't run up to her and say, oh, sister, you're in luck. You put in everything you had. Get ready. Everything's going to be, everything that you sow is going to be coming back to you a hundredfold. No, what was so precious about that story is that he knew she was about to go without and he, he was calling it out how precious it is. How precious it is. And I, I read that this morning. I read it yesterday. And I just began, I broke. I broke inside of me. Because I realized that I'm, I'm measuring so much of my life with God based upon my surplus. How much surplus do I have, God? Sometimes I'm waiting for God to move in my life. Because I, I, I'm just waiting for the right amount to come. I'm, I'm waiting to have a surplus of answers. I'm waiting to have a surplus of energy. Anybody else looking for a surplus of energy? I'm waiting for like a, a surplus of things to be made right in my life so that I can go and give to God. And what Jesus is shining forth right here is that we do not have to wait to have any kind of surplus. In fact, when you give yourself to Jesus in your scarcity, it's when he sees the most value. That's the thing that is so precious to him. I think that the Lord is taking us as a church right now into a new glory. I feel that. I feel it so strongly. You know, you've heard me, you've heard me say this in the past, but like, you know, there's that scripture that says we go from glory to glory, right? 
And if you remember, it's like, I, one of the ways I've interpreted that is like, if you look at the life of Paul, he just went from trouble to trouble, like one trouble to the next trouble, one scarcity to the next scarcity, one, you know, and the way he interprets troubles is like, yeah, man, I'm just going from one glory to the next glory. And, and recently in, in my life, I've been having this confrontation. God has come to me and he's like, Andy, you think that you need to have your entire life lined up and lined out in order to taste my glory. But when you're really going to taste it is when you step out in your scarcity, when you step out in what you don't have, when you step out in the things that you lack. And I was like, Ooh, I just don't think I want to go there, Lord. Let's deal. Let's make a deal. Let's negotiate. I say a lot of things. One of the things I say a lot is that God does not negotiate with Pharisees or liars. And I'm generally one of those two things. He doesn't negotiate with Pharisees or liars. So when I'm not hearing him, it's usually because I'm operating as a Pharisee or a liar. And when I want to hear God again, it's when I decide to have the truth about myself. When I start having the truth about myself and in my life, all of a sudden I can, I can hear what he's saying again. And I really believe this for us, y'all. I believe that Queen City Church, we are stepping into a new glory. Do y'all want to go on with the Lord? Do y'all want to go on with the Lord? Or do you just want to like go to church for the next 30 years? Like, you know, those are, those are two realistic options. You know, like we can, we can just, you know, come sing songs, listen to sermon series, give our offering. I mean, that's good. There's a reality to knowing Jesus together that can actually bless the city in ways that we have yet to imagine. It's so good. God is, he's inviting us into the good life. All right. I know I've worn you out. Let's stand up together. Let's stand up together and stretch our legs. Can I get a, can I get a praise leader up here somehow? And can I get the, can I get the ministry time folks up here? We got some ministry to do. Listen, I think some of y'all have uh, maybe been offended by my message today. Maybe you've been encouraged by this message today. Maybe you're like me and you just kind of yawned through it all. I don't know. Like I, you know, it's just, you know, there's different effects for different words. But but my sense is that... um, some of y'all need prayer this morning. Some of y'all need a, a prophetic word. Some of y'all need a, somebody to lay hands on you and give you some encouragement today. Maybe you're having, a, having some kind of difficulty in your life. Um, listen, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I got invited by the Anglicans, the Anglican church up in New York City. Um, I mean, I think Robin said this the other day. He's like, do you realize that the two guys that pastored this church didn't go to seminary? That is very much the case. I can, I can confirm that. But this is so cute. The Anglicans of New York City, they're like this like 
they all, they have all the money and all the degrees. And they asked me to come up and be the chaplain for their conference in April. And I thought that was so fascinating. But here was the, here was the best part. I thought, this is a feather in y'all's cap. Okay, because of what God is doing here, what God is doing among us. Do you know what they ask me? They want me to speak a little. They want me to do a little music. But the best thing that they asked me for is they said this. Can you come up here and lay hands on people and pray for them? I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Like we can learn from that stream, but they're willing to learn from us, right? So I would just want to, I just want to invite anybody that wants to come up to the front right now. If you want to come up and worship up here, if you want to come up and get some prayer, just come up right now. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Come up. We're just going to make a little room for this. I feel like, I feel like not being embarrassed about ministry time anymore. I feel like not being embarrassed about believing that the Holy Spirit can do things. That we are actually walking in the reality of that. Jesus, Jesus. Man, I got reminded. I got reminded. Somebody said something to me last week. I got reminded of who I am. I had one of my spiritual fathers tell me this. He said, Andy, you carried the glory of the Lord for 12 years in this place. And it was like somebody hit me upside the head with a two by four. It was like the blinders came off and I remembered who I am and what I want to do with my life. I want to carry the glory of the Lord everywhere in my life. Maybe that's what you want to do with your life too. Maybe you want to carry the glory of the Lord every day of your life into the places that you go. Man, if you want that, let's just stretch your, just stretch your arms out right now. I don't even care if we do this every week. I don't even care. Jesus, we love you. We're in awe of you today. And we want to say thank you, God, for for breathing new life on us. Thank you, God, that your river is flowing in us again. Thank you, God, that you have not left us abandoned without resources. But you have come to confront the unbelief in our lives. And you're filling us again. You're filling us again with your desire. You're filling us again with your hunger. You're filling us again with your thirst. Lord, I pray a blessing over every person today that as they go in their week, that every place they put their feet, that your glory would go with them. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our lives. We ask you to resurrect dead things, the dead dreams that we've had in our lives that we thought were crucified and sent to hell for good. We ask that you would raise those things again in our lives, Jesus. Lord, all the disappointments and the things that we've given up on, God, we come to you with those things and we say, you deal with those, God. We can't deal with them anymore and we give them to you to deal with. Lord, for every miscarriage, every miscarried dream, every miscarried hope, 
Lord, we ask for a resurrection. We ask for a resurrection in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Y'all, before I dismiss you, I want to I ask you one more thing. This week, in preparation for Easter next Sunday, I want to ask you to seriously read the text of Mark 11, Mark 12, and Mark 13 and spend some time meditating on the crucifixion. And the reason why I'm asking you to do this is because if you go into Resurrection Sunday with all of the joy and all of the resurrection goodness, without contemplating the crucifixion of God, it's just not as good. I mean, resurrection is all the more sweeter when you really seriously consider the implications of what Christ, what God in Christ did on the cross. Amen. All right. Y'all are dismissed. Don't be a stranger. Give somebody a high five, a hug, a handshake, a $20 bill. You do not have to leave this building right now. These people are praying, but don't leave too quickly. Take somebody out to lunch though. We will see y'all on Easter Sunday. Get here early if you want to see because the rest of y'all are gonna be standing in the lobby. Amen. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And Friday, y'all come to Friday night worship. We are going to have a great time. So be there on Friday night. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.